Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. To our new listeners, welcome. To our old listeners, welcome back. Another episode of Magical Education awaits you. But first, we would like to say a few words. Nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. Podcast down to three quarters topic of the week is chapter analysis. Hey there, listeners. I'm Jem. And I'm Rhea. And this week we're going to be doing an analysis of chapter 13, The Handsome One, from the book Harry Potter and the Portrait of What Looked Like a Large Pile of Ash. Yes, I'm quite excited about this. Uh, I don't know about you, Rhea, but I happen to listen to a few different podcasts that do basically a sort of, this sort of structure where they take a chapter from Harry Potter and really get into the depths of discussing it and analyzing mm-hmm. it. And I think it's just something that we could try. Like some of those podcasts, um, let's name shout them. There's Archaeopolitics. There's the podcast that, that must not be named, which mm-hmm. has our good friend Luke on there. So yeah, I'm excited to see how we do as former English students. <laughs> <laughs> I think we actually tossed around the idea of doing a chapter by chapter analysis back when we were first pitching podcast nine and three quarters and figuring out what we wanted to be before we went with the, nah, let's just pick random things from all over the series <laughs> method. Cause that's what we do actually. Yeah. Let's hone in on one tiny little detail and nitpick it until it dies basically. Uh- <laughs> And slowly work our way through every single detail <laughs> yeah. in the series. I really like that we picked this chapter. I think it's it's mm-hmm. one of my more favorite chapters from the whole series. What about you? What do you think about it? Well, it's definitely one of the most important chapters in the series in terms of like plot development mm-hmm. and character arcs as well. And I think it's severely underrated. I think a lot of people forget that it's there. Yeah. That being said, should we get into it? So am I going to be doing the reading or are we going to go back and forth? I would like if you did the reading because it, it hits the nostalgia for me because listeners, you might not know this, but Rhea actually read me all the Harry Potter books and that was my first introduction to them. So it might be nice if you do the reading. Okay, let's go. <laughs> <clears throat> Chapter 13, The Handsome One. The castle ground snarled with a wave of magically magnified wind. All right, stop. <laughs> all right, I, I, just figured I'd, I just figured I'd stop you and we'd have like a little a little – because I really like this opening sentence. Okay. The castle, what did it do? The castle ground snarled with a wave of magically magnified wind. Snarled. I really like the personification of the castle grounds. That's interesting. Yeah. That, yeah. It leads into this theory that we have that the Hogwarts castle itself is sort of alive and sentient a bit. Mm, definitely. And I like the magically magnified wind. First, a good use of alliteration, Mm -hmm. but it also implies that the natural world is magically powerful as well. Not just man-made objects by wizards, but like the very wind, the air that we breathe is full of magic too, which is interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Also, I'm wondering, like, is someone doing this? Is it just the magical world itself, which is, you know, snarling and magically magnified? Or is there like some wizard fuck somewhere 
making a really big wind. Like when Daedalus Diggle kept making meteor showers and all sorts of other nonsense. Yeah. And is that wizard focus snarling as well? I assume so. It's a bit aggressive. So yeah, I think it is a person. We'll hopefully find out who as the chapter progresses. Yeah. So should I keep pausing after each sentence or just keep reading until you say stop? Let's pause after every sentence. It's not a long chapter. No. Okay. (laughs) The sky outside was a great black ceiling, which was full of blood. Ominous. Yeah. Why is the sky full of blood? And the way that JK describes the sky as a great black ceiling makes me think of the sky in the Great Hall. Yes. I was just going to say that. Like, it's like folk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The ceiling in the Great Hall is a sky, but the sky outside is a ceiling. That's so nice little flip there. What's more concerning to me is that it's black, but looks like it's full of blood. Is there something in the Harry Potter series that bleeds black? For some reason, I'm thinking Inferi, but I don't know if that's just my imagination. That's probably just your imagination, because I just read the sixth Harry Potter book where the Inferi come up, and I don't remember their blood being described as black. I'm probably just making that up. Yeah, I mean, to me, the idea of black blood, doesn't that mean it's, like, congealed and, like, infected or dead? Yeah. Evil. See, the whole sky full of blood thing, this is real, like, extrapolation here, but maybe it's Mm. referring to, like, how the sky is full of prophecy because the centaurs can read the stars, and if the sky is full of blood- Ah. Yeah, maybe it's talking about the war to come. Mm, Mars is bright tonight. Mm. That makes sense. That's a good theory. Hmm. Anyway, let's see. The only sounds drifting from Hagrid's hut were the disdainful shrieks of his own furniture. Why is is the furniture shrieking? Is this sort of fitting into the personification of the castle and the grounds? Maybe because the the grounds are alive, the furniture that Hagrid's made is alive too, and it's shrieking because it's trapped in a furniture form. To me, it it more evokes like a Beauty and the Beast-style curse where his furniture has been brought to life. Mm. What I think is particularly ominous Mm. is the only sounds drifting from Hagrid's hut. So that implies to me that the furniture has risen up and killed Hagrid or else driven him from his home. Right. Holy crap. Maybe he's just not home. (laughs) Let's hope that. (laughs) Maybe the only time that the furniture gets to shriek disdainfully is when Hagrid isn't around. Because when Hagrid is around, he's like, oi, quiet, (laughs) y'all. So less less like a Beauty and the Beast style thing and more like a Toy Story style thing where when Hagrid's home, all the furniture just has to be quiet and still. Yeah. So far, we've got a really mournful tone. There's like, it's ominous, it's spooky, it's, yeah, magic. It was something that Harry Potter thought was very good. Nice. That's just a bold statement from Harry there. He's just, he's just expressing his opinion. It seems like something that he would tweet, like, (laughs) magic, colon. It's good. <laughs> it's very good. <laughs> it goes to show, like, the true optimism of Harry's character, that he can be, like, in the snarling grounds and the sky full of blood and the disdainful shrieks of the furniture, and he's like, you know what? Magic's very good. Yeah. Doesn't matter how awful it is right now, I still love magic. Yeah, that is good. Leathery sheets of rain lashed at Harry's ghost as he walked across the grounds towards the castle. Interesting development. Oh, I I didn't even hone in on the word ghost in that sentence. I was like, leathery sheets of rain. Oh, so it's a storm. I missed the part where Harry's dead. Yeah, Harry's ghost. Now, 
so I'm looking at the apostrophe here. This is clearly saying that it is the ghost of Harry Potter or it does Harry own the ghost? Mm, there's definitely a possessive Harry's. Okay, so it is Harry's ghost. Is this sort of the premonition of death that's hinted at with the ceiling full of blood? Because we know that Harry is alive in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, I don't think he actually dies this early in the series. I do think this is a ghost that he owns. So it's a ghost that Harry has in his possession. By premonition, I thought of like, you know, Harry eventually dies on the school grounds right near the forest where they are now. Right. So maybe it's sort of like a foreshadowing of that event. Okay. So he's seeing this ghost being lashed at by the rain mm. while he's walking back towards the castle and he's like, God, that could be me one day. Who knows? Yeah. It's spooky out tonight. Oh, actually, no. What he's thinking is magic. Very good. <laughs> maybe, he, maybe he doesn't even notice the ghost. Mm. Maybe that's just for us readers to note. Yeah. Like he's, he's not even aware of it. Maybe we were looking at the first paragraph a bit too literally. Maybe all the shrieks and the, the snarls is just the sounds of the storm. If there's all these leathery sheets of rain as well. Or maybe it is literal. I think it's up to interpretation. I tend to interpret it literally, but I guess that's because I want to cause problems for myself. Anyway, continue going. Ron was standing there doing a kind of frenzied tap dance. Okay, well, why is Ron doing a frenzied tap dance? Has he been hit with Tarantagula or something like that? I think it's more nervous energy. He's waiting for Harry to emerge out of the storm. And, like, to burn off his excess energy, he's just he's just got to do a frenzied tap dance. Sometimes you just have to tap dance. Yeah, I, I understand that. I used to do tap dancing, as you remember. And it overcomes you. He saw Harry and immediately began to eat Hermione's family. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! That's a <laughs> sudden turnaround from Ron! Yeah, this was always a real shocking turn of events to happen in Harry Potter and the Portrait of What Looks Like a Large Pile of Ash when Ron reduced mm-hmm. himself to cannibalism. And the fact that it's Hermione's family, it's like, what were they even doing there? Oh, I know. It's it's so shocking that uh, two muggles managed to, first of all, find Hogwarts Castle, then enter, then be eaten by a student who was tap dancing. I guess he worked up an appetite yeah. with his frenzied dance. To look at it not so much out of the literal sense, but more of like a metaphorical sense, maybe the fact that Ron, a pureblood, is eating Hermione's family is seen as like a wider comment on uh, the status of purebloods and muggles in a society of magical dominance. So you're saying that he's like consuming the muggle side of Hermione and like integrating her into magical society? Yeah, yeah you could say that. Or eating as a verb used to denote uh, oppressing. Even though Ron himself okay. isn't, um, ob- isn't a blood purist, he still benefits from a system that privileges his pure blood. Ron's Ron shirt was just as bad as Ron himself. This is my favourite sentence from this chapter. I've got another favourite sentence that I'll point out when we get to it. (laughs) Well, I like that Harry's condemning Ron's actions because he's like, Ron, eating Hermione's family, bad. And that shirt is just as bad as you. Yeah, so I'm guessing it's a shirt that says Ron, or is it a shirt that has a picture of Ron on it eating Hermione's family? Like, does the shirt change its actions based upon what Ron is doing? That's why the shirt is just as bad as himself. It's got his name and a list of all the things he's ever done wrong. That's what I choose to believe. See, I see it as, like, whatever Ron is doing at the time is mirrored on the shirt. So it says Ron at the top, and then 
if Ron is eating Hermione's family, the shirt shows him eating Hermione's family. If Ron is sleeping, then the shirt shows him sleeping, etc., etc. Okay, so my question is, if Ron's, like, eating a plate of chicken and he's wearing the shirt and it's got on the shirt a picture of him eating a plate of chicken, is he also wearing the shirt with a picture of him eating a plate of chicken and it's recursive and it goes on forever and ever? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. If you two can't clump happily, I'm going to get aggressive, confess to the reasonable Hermione. That's on brand for her. She is very reasonable. And by clump happily, I'm guessing she's saying, like, if you two can't, work together and get along. Like, you've got beef between each other, I understand this, just, you've got to clump happily. I know I just said that I want to stop after every sentence, but I think I should go paragraph by paragraph. Okay, yeah, sounds good. Because it's just, it's it's just going to take too long. What about Ron magic, offered Ron. To Harry, Ron was a loud, slow, and soft bird. Harry did not like to think about birds. All right, there's a lot to unpack. Ron magic. I love this. I think you might have picked up that Ron is, like, one of my favourite characters, and I like the idea of Ron magic. (laughs) Is it the same magic that created his Ron shirt? Maybe so. Um, Is he just talking about magic, but his magic? Like, there's Ron magic, there's Harry magic, there's Hermione magic. Or does Ron have a special kind of power? reserved purely for Ron Weasley energy? I choose to believe it's that one, and we'll find out more about this specific special Ron magic as the series progresses. I think it's going to be vital to stop Voldemort, just like love magic is going to be vital to stop Voldemort. Absolutely. And I think this chapter is so important for building Ron's character as so vital and poignant for the team. Mm -hmm. That's why it was such a shame it was removed from the movies. I mean, I think it was just too controversial for that. The, The agenda of the movies of really pushing Hermione as that strong central figure to the team. When Ron has his Ron magic, which is never discussed in the movies. What about Ron being a loud, slow, and soft bird? I think it's just a plain insult, because uh, Harry doesn't like to think about birds. That's because of his fear of pigeons. Yeah, brought up in Cursed Child, interestingly. 100% canon. Even though he owns a pet bird. Yeah, but he doesn't like birds. He's afraid of birds. Mm. That's, that's evident in the series yeah. all the way through. I like the sort of... um. Double negative of loud, slow, and soft. Being loud, but also soft. Is he soft in spokenness, or is he soft in texture? Is Harry petting Ron to detect his softness? I imagine so. I imagine he's like a big, like those big balls of feathers that are birds. Yeah. (laughs) Those birds that are big balls of feathers, that's what I meant. I mean, there are several points throughout the series where people turn into large canaries, so this could have just happened to Ron spontaneously. That could have been the Ron magic in question. Yeah. Hmm. What about Ron magic? And then he turns into a giant canary and Harry's like, oh, I don't like this. I don't like thinking about birds. Yeah. Hmm. I think that's what happened. Death Eaters are on top of the castle, Ron bleated, quivering. Ron was going to be spiders. He just was. He wasn't proud of that, but it was going to be hard to not have spiders all over his body after all is said and done. Wow. I mean, they're here. Knock, knock. I love Ron. I do love him. But sometimes he drives me nuts, like dropping this massive bombshell. The Death Eaters are on top of the castle. And then he's so caught up in his own nonsense about how he's going to be spiders. Like, that's not that's not important right now, Ron. There's Death Eaters. I, I just like to notice that in the past two paragraphs, Ron has been described to three different animals. A loud, slow and soft bird, bleated as in like a sheep would or a goat would, and then spiders. Well, he is going to be spiders. No, actually, it's confusing, because he says he's going to be spiders, he just is. 
But then he says he's going to have spiders all over his body. So which is it? See, when JK says Ron's going to be spiders, I think going to be spiders is a kind of a phrase that's tossed around a lot at Hogwarts or amongst the Weasleys. But when Ron just pours spiders out from every gland in his body, they call that, oh, he's going to be spiders. He just is because he's just so, like, fearful and nervous. And that's why he's so afraid of spiders, because whenever he gets afraid, they just pop out from everywhere. They're just crawling out of every crevice in his body. Probably the worst scene ever in Harry Potter is when spiders are just pouring like water out of Ron's eyes, mouth, nose, ears, and other orifices. Yeah, it's like sweat with legs. With many legs. (laughs) Eight legs. Yeah, I mean, what a condition. Look, said Hermione, obviously there are loads of Death Eaters in the castle. Let's listen in on their meetings. Ever reasonable, Hermione. Oh god, Hermione's my girl. She's so practical. Yep, yep. No time for this spiders and big soft birds. Let's listen in on the Death Eaters meetings. She knows what she's about. She's always checking that list, always doing what needs to be done. The three complete friends zapped onto the landing outside the door to the castle roof. They almost legged it, but witches are not climbing. Ron looked at the doorknob and then looked at Hermione with searing pain. All right. The three complete friends. See, this makes me think that they've clumped together. Like I said earlier, they're, they're, they're over their past difficulties. They've clumped happily. Yeah, they're over their past difficulties, you know. The, the dancing, the big soft bird. It doesn't matter. It's all in the past. They're complete friends now. They've got to deal with the problem ahead of them. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that they almost legged it, I assume, directly up the side of the castle. But of course, as we know, witches are not climbing. So they had to zap out into the landing. Yeah. I like the use of zap instead of apparated. It was a bold move by JK to really break that canon for just this one chapter. But I think it works effectively. Well, I've always assumed that zapping is different to apparating, because as we know, it's impossible to apparate inside of Hogwarts castle and grounds. Of course. But zapping, that's a whole different story. Of course you can zap around Hogwarts castle and grounds. Yeah. So what does zapping involve? What do you think it involves? Um, I think it's a bit like how the house elves apparate. I never assumed they were doing literally exactly what the wizards do. It's like their own personal brand of teleportation. It's like a special, different kind of magic. It's Ron magic. That's what it is. <gasps> Zapping is Ron magic. That's great. I always kind of pictured it like in the X-Men movies, the newer ones, like with Quicksilver, how he just zaps around like really fast running. Excellent. But they can't run up walls because which is not climbing. Yes. So it has to be some kind of teleportation. Yeah. I think it's Ron magic because that explains why Ron looks at Hermione with searing pain. It's because he's exhausted from using all of his Ron magic Mm. to zap the three complete friends onto the landing outside the door to the castle roof. Yeah. I think it could just be that he's also looking at the doorknob and then looks at Hermione with searing pain. Now, this is on brand for Ron. Whenever he's confronted with a locked door, he doesn't really know what to do. So he always looks to Hermione to help. So I think that's just a good example Mm -hmm. of their relationship. As is evident in the next sentence, which is, I think it's closed, he noticed. Great observational skills there, Ron. The door is closed. He could actually, sorry, he could actually be looking at Hermione with searing pain because of all the spiders still crawling all over him. I imagine it's not pleasant. That's true. Mm. It could be many things that's causing him searing pain. It could be that he wants to be inside the door, but he can't get inside because it's closed. Mm. Locked, said Mr. Staircase, the shabby-robed ghost. They looked at the door, screaming about how closed it was and asking it to be replaced with a small orb. 
The password was beef women, Hermione cried. I love that password. It's a great password. I love beef women. And I love that it's in all caps. Yeah. Beef women. (laughs) (laughs) The best passwords are the kinds that have to be screamed. Definitely. I like that the shabby robed ghost, Mr. Staircase, a new character, which we hadn't noticed was there before. Or maybe... Maybe this was the ghost that was being lashed by the leathery rain when Harry was crossing the grounds earlier. Right. Maybe it's just a ghost that's very friendly with Harry and he just follows Harry around. It's Harry's ghost. Mm. See, Mr. Staircase is only around for this one chapter, so it's quite unclear his relationship with Harry or the trio. I assume intimate. <laughs> Definitely. I like how they looked at the door screaming about how closed it was. <laughs> What a Gryffindor move. (laughs) (laughs) They're screaming because the password has to be screamed. They're trying to guess the password. And they can't guess the passwords. They're asking for the door to be replaced with a small orb. But then Hermione remembers the password is BEEF WOMEN! I wonder who said that password, Filch. Maybe it was Dumbledore. And maybe BEEF WOMEN is a kind of snack. A wizard sweet. Oh, interesting. Like jerky. Yeah. In the shape of women. Yeah, I mean, that would be my favourite snack. I just assumed it was Filch because I think that he would make passwords after his hopes and dreams. So that's why he chose beef women. Yeah, that makes sense. Harry, Ron and Hermione quietly stood behind a circle of Death Eaters who looked bad. It's clear that, like, I mean, JK is really making it obvious here. Death Eaters, bad. Yeah, it's... There's no, like, nuance here. They're just, they're bad. They're the bad guys. I think it's okay if you like me, said one Death Eater. Thank you very much, replied the other. The first Death Eater confidently leaned forward to plant a kiss on his cheek. Oh, Whoa! <laughs> That's cute as! Is this a... Is this a same-sex romance in the Harry Potter series? Oh, one of these Death Eaters must be female. I mean, it doesn't state what the genders of the Death... One of the Death Eaters is. One of the Death Eaters says that it's um his... Death Eater number one is his, because the first Death Eater confidently leaned forward. Sorry. So Death Eater number two is a he, because the first Death Eater- Death Eater number two is he. Yeah. But Death Eater number one, who said, I think it's okay if you like me, is unclear. Could be male, female, or any other gender. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. JK has just pointed out Death Eater's bad. And now we have this little exchange mm. showing that, you know, there's more to Death Eaters than just being the bad guy. Sometimes it's okay that Death Eaters like each other and that they, they get along and they show affection for one another. And they thank each other. I think that's very sweet. And they have good manners. This is a nice little humanizing moment for the Death Eaters, but it's good to reinforce that they are still bad. Even though they're people, they're bad people. Yeah, yeah, I can appreciate that. Oh, well done, said the second, as his friends stepped back again. All the other Death Eaters clapped politely. Then they all took a few minutes to go over the plan to get rid of Harry's magic. Okay, so down to business. <laughs> they're so polite. Yeah. <laughs> I just love how organized. Like, they're, they're all watching. They're like, oh, yes. And then they're like, all right, so how do you get rid of Harry's magic? It's so, I don't know, diplomatic is the word I would use. <laughs> I assume that, like, the romantic tension between these two Death Eaters has been building over the past, like, dozen Death Eater meetings. Mm. And this time, whoever was in charge, Voldemort probably, was like, okay, guys, before we get started on the plan to get rid of Harry's magic, we need to sort out whatever's going on between you two. So just get it out in the air. Who likes who? Is it okay if you like one another? Let's sort this out and then we can get into the meeting properly. 
I like how they only need a few minutes to go over how to get rid of Harry's magic as well. Mm, it's much less convoluted than his usual plans. Yeah. And interesting to get rid of Harry's magic. Is that possible in the, in what we know about the series? Well, from what I remember, JK has confirmed that it's not possible to remove a wizard's magic, but maybe Voldemort's discovered some new thing, or maybe maybe he's planning for it, not realizing that it is impossible, because mm. he's kind of a fuckwit, so mm. he might just not know. Well, let's see what they say. Harry could tell that Voldemort was standing right behind him. He felt a great overreaction. Harry tore his eyes from his head and threw them into the forest. Voldemort raised his eyebrows at Harry, who could not see anything at the moment. <laughs> That's my favourite sentence in this chapter. Bold. Absolutely iconic. Mm -hmm. Harry's like, shit, I sense him right behind me. I gotta do what I gotta do. He just reaches straight into his skull, rips out his eyeballs and yeets them into the forest. Into he's the like, forest. That's so far. He's, he's a jock. He can throw. Yeah. I just think it's so powerful for Harry. Are they inside? Yeah, through a wall. I just think it's so powerful. And they're in the forest and Harry's like, you know what, Voldemort? You're not going to use your <laughs> legitimacy on me. You're not going to be able to look in my eyes and know what I'm doing or curse me or I'll use eye contact to jinx me. No, my eyes are gone. What are you going to do now, yeah. Voldemort? I like that Harry- I love that. Harry's very clear with himself. He's like, this isn't an appropriate reaction. This is an overreaction. He knows what he's doing before he does it. I love my little drama queen boy. Mm. Also interesting that Voldemort raised his eyebrows. Confirmation that Voldemort has eyebrows, which is weird because he's bald and has a snake head. I just assume he pencils them on. Voldemort, you're a very bad and mean wizard, Harry savagely said. Ooh. Hermione nodded encouragingly. The tall Death Eater was wearing a shirt that said Hermione has forgotten how to dance, so Hermione dipped his face in mud. Iconic. Wow. All savagery in this in this um, paragraph. First of all, you've got Harry's savage cut down of Voldemort, being a very bad and mean wizard, which is true. And then Hermione just fucking dipping this guy in mud. Oh, and the shirt. That's also savage. Hermione's forgotten how to dance. What a rude fuck. I love that, like, Harry drops this bombshell. Like, Voldemort, you're a very bad and mean wizard. And I'm imagining Ron in the background, like, ooh, and Hermione's just nodding encouragingly. I imagine, like, her head is a blur. She's so, she's nodding so far. She's like, yeah, tear him down, Harry. Yeah. Destroy him. And then from across the circle of Death Eaters, she sees the tall Death Eater wearing the shirt, and she's like, hey, fuck this guy. <laughs> Time to summon some mud and dip his face in it. Yeah, I love how she summons the mud, or she finds the mud, and rather than using magic to, like, you know, clap back this guy she just reaches up she's a, she's a, like mm -hmm. this is a tall death eater and hermione's a tiny little girl she reaches up and dips his face into the mud mm -hmm. like she's so strong this just, this just reaffirms <laughs> my opinion that hermione is built and <laughs> nothing can change my mind yeah hermione's secretly the hulk from carrying all those books around yeah she's jacked dipping a tall death eater's face in mud requires grabbing the back of his head and pulling him off his feet face first into the ground <laughs> <laughs> Hermione's great <laughs> she might be the best character in the book I mean let's not forget what this chapter is really about the handsome one and Hermione is not the handsome one that's true she's not Ron threw a wand at Voldemort and everyone applauded Ron smiled Ron reached for his wand slowly <laughs> that, that's a close contender for my favourite sentence 
Yeah, I, I do like um, the repetition of Ron at the beginning of every sentence because this is an important point to make. This is about Ronald Weasley. Are you suggesting that Ron Weasley is the handsome one? I am suggesting that. Let's just talk about this. Ron threw a wand at Voldemort. Mm-hmm. So rather than going to the typical way of you know shooting a spell at him or disarming Voldemort, he decides to throw his wand at him. Yeah. A bold move. And everyone applauded. Everyone. Even the Death Eaters? I'm assuming so. <laughs> Even Voldemort, I assume. It says everyone applauded. That's Harry, Hermione, Voldemort, the Death Eaters, and Mr. Staircase, the shabby-robed ghost. Yeah, that's true. I just, I love that. Like, it's so iconic. And Ron smiles. And then, but I like that he, like, thrown the wand. Everyone's applauded. The wand's are presumably on the ground now. Mm-hmm. But rather than being quick about picking up his wand, Ron's like, no, nah, I'm going to do this slowly. I'm going to take my time. I'm going <laughs> to savor this applause. <laughs> well, we know that Ron has a praise kink, so that's why he's doing it slowly. He's got to drink in that applause while it's there. Don't we all? <laughs> Ron's the handsome one, muttered Harry, as he reluctantly reached for his. They cast a spell or two, and jets of green light shot out of the Death Eaters' heads. Ron flinched. Well, that's a confirmation of your theory that Ron's the handsome one. I somehow forgot that that was in the chapter. Ron is the handsome one. I mean, it's such an important Mm. moment for Ron's character development, and he's part of the trio, and I just, I really, I'm bitter that it was removed from the movies. Definitely. In the movies, as we know, Harry's the handsome one, which is just awful. I think it's very interesting that Harry is reluctantly reaching for his wand and then apparently casting killing curses because jets of green light are shooting out of the Death Eaters' heads. Yeah. He's getting them with headshots. Yeah, and they're not just, like, making contact with the head. Like, they're going through the head. So they're going through Mm. flesh, bone, blood, brain, out the other side. Like, that's an intense killing curse. That's some fucking savagery from Harry. (laughs) And not just Harry, Ron's doing it too. I can see why Ron's flinching. (laughs) Yeah. Not so handsome now, thought Harry as he dipped Hermione in hot sauce. The Death Eaters were dead now, and Harry was hungrier than he had ever been. (laughs) What the fuck, Harry? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think the events of this chapter, they really affected Harry's psyche. I'd say so. But I think it's, it's also worthy to note, Harry Harry still doesn't have his eyeballs, so he might have been meaning to grab right. a Death Eater or Hermione's family to dip into hot sauce, but he instead grabbed Hermione yeah. to eat because, you know, I mean, he's, he's had a long day. He's hungry. <laughs> he's just killed for the first time. By the way, I forgot to mention this earlier, but it's impressive that he managed to get the Death Eaters with killing curse headshots when he can't see. Yeah. It's iconic. I also think it's a bit confusing how Harry says, Ron's the handsome one, kills some Death Eaters, and then he says, not so handsome now. Is he still talking about Ron, or is he talking about the Death Eaters? Well, maybe Harry believes that a trait of handsomeness is not having committed murder. Mm. And so now that Ron has joined him and participated in the killing of the Death Eaters, he's not as handsome anymore. Or maybe it's because Ron flinched, and Harry doesn't think that handsome people flinch. It's this is a grim a grim end t- towards the chapter break for this chapter. It's um it's quite a dark point in the series. It's really it's underrated. The fact that Harry once he's, you know, had a taste for blood, once he's killed, he's hungrier than he's ever been. Is he hungry for more death? Is that why he resorts to cannibalism as Ron was doing earlier? There's so much cannibalism in this chapter. What what do you think JK's trying to say about mm. cannibalism inclusions? I think it's about how dark magic can consume you. Mm. 
by making you so empty and devoid of love that you have to consume others to fuel yourself. I think that's what she's going for with the cannibalism imagery. Or maybe she's just saying that doing dark magic makes you spicy. Well, then why would he have to dip them in further hot sauce? Because Harry likes them real spicy. Ah, of course. We know that. That's been embedded in his character from day one. I just, I like that it's always Hermione or, or like relatives of Hermione that are singled out for the consumption. Do you reckon there's something tasty about muggle flesh? Because Hermione has muggle-born blood in her. So maybe it's, it's like a, a matter of, in terms of taste value, wizards taste like shit, but muggles are really tasty. I think you're just saying that because you want to describe yourself as tasty. I mean, I don't need an excuse to describe myself as tasty. Because <laughs> you a snack. I really think that Harry putting dipping Hermione in the hot sauce is more a joke based on the fact that Ron was earlier eating Hermione's family. I really think that Harry was trying to eat the Death Eaters, and it's just because he can't see. Mm. That's why he's dipping Hermione in hot sauce. I think she'll free herself from the hot sauce and wrap this up with Harry so he doesn't accidentally eat her. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now there's a break in the chapter and we move on to the next sort of scene in a new location, just so our listeners don't get confused. Because <laughs> we wouldn't want anything in this chapter to be confusing, that's why we're analysing it sentence by sentence. No, yeah, this is the most important chapter to analyse in the entire Harry Potter series, I believe. I think so, yeah. The Great Hall was filled with incredible moaning chandeliers and a large librarian who had decorated the sinks with books about masonry. Mountains of mice exploded. Several long pumpkins fell out of McGonagall. Dumbledore's hair scooted next to Hermione as Dumbledore arrived at school. Dumbledore, you fuck! He's always gone when the Death Eaters are arriving at school. Harry, Ron, and Hermione went up against Voldemort today, and Dumbledore was just fucking around while his hair was in charge. <laughs> I do like that he left his hair in charge, though. Sometimes he doesn't even do that. He just takes his hair with him. One of the worst things about Dumbledore is his animated disembodied hair that he leaves in his place when he leaves. And it's always taken up people's seats. Like, I'm sure Ginny would like to sit next to Hermione, but no, there's just a giant vat of hair there. Vat? Scooting up closer to Hermione. Like, God, leave her alone. I know. Leave Hermione alone. She doesn't want to sit next to your hair, Dumbledore. She wants to get some of these long pumpkins falling out of McGonagall. I love McGonagall's pumpkins. I like that JK forgot that the word for long pumpkins is squash. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> it's also interesting that none of the editors caught that. It was just left in as long pumpkins. <laughs> I really like the the, the, um, the scene building in this. Like We can really picture it in our heads. I, I think there's a few things we should notice here. Mm -hmm. uh, the great halls filled with incredible moaning chandeliers. So this is, again, furniture shrieking, moaning. The furniture is still alive. And I like that the large librarian mm. is decorating the sinks in the Great Hall with books about masonry. Now, isn't masonry woodwork? Like how to build things? It's stonework. Stonework. Maybe maybe the books explain how to make your castle moan and groan and things like ah, that. Ah, right. That makes sense. It's also interesting that there are sinks in the Great Hall. There's not usually sinks in the Great Hall, right? That's just in this book? Well, I think they were installed there to encourage people to wash their hands because they're off using like frog spawn soap and dung bombs all the time. And then because they're such grotty kids, they're just showing up to the Great Hall and digging into their pork pies and mm. chicken. It's like, wash your hands, you little grommets. So I think that's why they were installed by the large librarian. <laughs> Dirty boys digging into their pies with their filthy frog spawn crusted hands. 
Hogwarts is a foul school. <laughs> Maybe that's why um the chandeliers are moaning too. They're like, ugh, the sinks are here. Like they feel like the great hall's a place for great furniture, and there's like a furniture classism, and they're like sinks belong in the shit cabinet with all the the toilets and the, the pipes and stuff like that. And the great halls for all the light bringers, like the chandeliers and the long tables that are like shiny. And stuff. I like this theory of furniture like class wars. That's excellent. <laughs> Poor Hagrid's furniture left outside to shriek disdainfully. I, that's why. It's because they're excluded from the castle. Yep. They don't have a place in the pecking order. This is all just symbolism for an entrenched class system. Bold of Harry Potter to go there in this <laughs> chapter of... Harry Potter and the portrait of what looked like a large pile of ash. Yeah. What do we think about the mountains of mice exploding? Violent. I think that's that's pretty standard for the Great Hall decorations, isn't it? It's sort of reminiscent of the Death Eaters' heads exploding with flashes of green light, isn't it? The pig of Hufflepuff pulsed like a large bullfrog. Dumbledore smiled at it and placed his hand on its head. You are Hagrid now. Replaced. <laughs> Well, this leads into my theory that Hagrid's dead. The furniture killed him. You're right. I mean... Or I guess he could just be out of the castle and needing for long enough that he needs to be replaced as a teacher. So the pig of Hufflepuff steps in to replace Hagrid in, in the care of radical creatures role. Yeah. I like that this is um a good moment for the pig of Hufflepuff. The pig of Hufflepuff's really overlooked in previous books. Like, he's barely mentioned at all. But now he's given a front row seat and he's given a teaching position at the school. I think it's good that he's overlooked because, look, I don't mean to, like, be down on Hufflepuff, even though it's clearly the most inferior house. <laughs> but uh, if you've got a pig that pulses like a large bullfrog, ew, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> it's gross. <laughs> well, I just think that it's a positive representation of pigs, because as we know, there's a hierarchy of animal order in terms of magicness, and pigs are seen as a least magical animal. And yet this pig has worked his way mm -hmm. through oppressive systems to make it all the way up to a teaching position at Hogwarts. And he's a representative of a mm. Hogwarts house, albeit the lesser house. So I think it's just a story of perseverance and defying all odds. Mm. He is very hardworking. You can see why he's the pig of Hufflepuff and not the pig of, I don't know, one of the other houses. Mm. We're the only people who matter. He's never going to get rid of us. Harry, Hermione, and Ron said in chorus. Nice. <laughs> Do you like my snazzy tune? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bop. I love this. Who's this he? Does it mean he as in Voldemort's never going to get rid of us, he's never going to kill us? Or he as in Dumbledore's never going to expel us because we are the only people in the school who actually matter? I think so. He's like, we are well, the three of them. First of all, I like that the three complete friends are working together in unison once again. They've clumped happily. Definitely. But I I think when they say we're the only people who matter, they mean, like, Dumbledore can't get rid of us. He can't replace us with the pig of Gryffindor House. Mm. Because we are the only people who matter. And it's such, like, a... It's almost like it's breaking the fourth wall. Like, JK's really pointing out that these three characters, these ones mm -hmm. right here, the handsome one, the boy who lived, and the mud-dipping face witch, are the only important ones that matter. So, then, she's never going to get rid of them. As well. It's, it's, a, it's a statement about JK. I think so. The floor of the castle seemed like a large pile of magic. The Dursleys had never been to the castle and they were not about to come there in Harry Potter and the portrait of what looked like a large pile of ash. Harry looked around and then fell down the spiral staircase for the rest of the summer. Wow. So much just happened. Whoa. Bold. Bold of JK to really break that fourth wall. Just smash that down. She put the title of the book in this chapter. 
This is what makes this chapter and this book so distinct from the others. And it's honestly surprising how people forget the books there. Like it's mm -hmm. one of those key integral books between one and seven that's just overlooked. Between one and seven. Nice and specific. After Harry finds out he's a wizard, but before Harry faces off Voldemort. I mean, it's unforgettable. That's when Harry Potter and the portrait of what looked like a large pile of ash is set. <laughs> Somewhere in his journey. I like that we've gone from describing the ceiling of the sky to now the floor of the castle. Yes. And it's in it now it's a large pile of magic. It's like a it's like a trip from the heavens to the hells. What is JK trying to say with this message? It's really interesting. I was about to point that out. I like that we've started at the top and now we're at the bottom. It mirrors Harry, Ron and Hermione's physical journey, because of course, well, they start in the castle grounds, but they spend most of this chapter up at the top of the castle killing all the Death Eaters, and now they're down here in the Great Hall, resting and having a good time. And then Harry is going to go further down as he falls down a spiral staircase for the rest of the summer. I think it could be also commenting on, like, bringing things back to Earth. So this whole, like, mm -hmm. this whole events that have just happened, of Death Eaters invading the castle, Voldemort appearing right behind Harry, and Harry just ripping his eyes out. It was very intense, very dramatic, very action-packed. And let's just take a step back and, and breathe and bring it back to what we know, which is Hogwarts, it's our home, it's the trio, it's the only people who matter. And so JK's really bringing that message home that it's about family and connections and love. That's what's important at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think she ties that in by mentioning the Dursley and saying how the Dursleys, they're never going to come to the castle. They're not magical. They're not part of Harry's family. And so for the rest of summer, instead of going to the Dursleys, he's falling deeper and deeper and deeper into the magical world by falling down the spiral staircases. Yeah. Wow, that's great. I never really picked up on that before. Yeah, I think it's it's quite poignant. And it's especially poignant because it's like the second last paragraph. Yeah, penultimate. Penultimate, that's the one. So now let's go to the ultimate <laughs> sentence. I'm Harry Potter, Harry began yelling. The dark arts better be worried. Oh boy. I mean, it's all there. Such a strong end. Bold. Ron has his Ron shirt. This is what Harry would have on his Harry shirt. Mm -hmm. It's Harry Potter to a T. I think the Dark Arts are worried because Harry's just killed a bunch of Death Eaters and it's a good sign for the future of this book and for the future of the entire series that he's like, they better be worried because mm. I'm Harry Potter. I'm one of the only people who matter and I'm going to be falling down this staircase for the rest of the summer. So I'm ready. It's happening. You, this is legit. Do you think that he's falling down the staircase because he still doesn't have his eyes back and so he keeps tripping? Yes, definitely. It's because he can't see. Also, we didn't mention it, but it's so meaningful that he rips his eyes out. And as we know, the only reason why Snape gives a crap about him is because he has Lily's eyes. So now it's like he's freeing himself of the burden of Snape's presence in his life. Oh, God. This chapter has so many levels and I can't believe... It's so overlooked and, and completely omitted from the movies, and I'll forever be bitter about that. It's just because you like Ron and he's the handsome one. It is. That's why you're so bitter. <laughs> well, I've been Jem, and I've been the handsome one. I've been Rhea, and the dark arts better be worried. Oh boy. April Fool's listeners, I hope you enjoyed whatever that was <laughs> our chapter analysis of the predictive text harry potter chapter by botnik studios this was one of the dumbest episodes that we've ever done and it was in fact so dumb that we had a whole bunch of bloopers and outtakes which we've added in at the end of the episode so if you enjoyed this 
there's more of it coming, I guess, after the outro. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Podcast 9 and 3 quarters. This show is written and edited by Rhea and Jem. You can send us an email at 9and3quarterspodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at podcast 9 and 3 quarters Or talk to us separately on Twitter. Rhea is at SmashMouthRhea and Jem is at Jem underscore just Jem. Please feel free to send theories or ask questions and bombard us with so many messages that we go mad and run away to a hut on a rock in the sea just to avoid them. Our logo art is by Winged Corgi. Find more of her art at wingedcorgi.tumblr.com. This week's intro music was Hogwarts March by Patrick Doyle, and our outro music was Hedwig's Theme by John Williams. You'll hear from us again in two weeks' time. To our new listeners, welcome. To our old listeners, welcome back. Another episode of Magical Education awaits you. But first, we would like to say a few words. Sorry, I fucked it up. I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> Sorry, my phone went off and that distracted me. I just got to put it on silent real quick. <laughs> I could see your face when you did that. I could, like, feel it. <laughs> the panic in my eyes. I'm like, oh, God. Okay. <laughs> Doing it again. <sighs> Fuck, what is it? 20 welcome, right. Okay, good. I should really write this down. The only sounds drifting from Hagrid's hut were the disdainful shrieks of his own furniture. Ah! <laughs> Wait, did that sound <laughs> That's a bit more startled. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's not disdainful. Oh! <laughs> I don't know what disdain sounds like. <laughs> it's, it's hard to make a disdainful shriek because a shriek to me sounds a bit more like shrill and like terrified or outright outraged whereas disdainful is like mournful and slow so it's a bit of a juxtaposition there (laughs) that's it that's a disdainful shriek doing a frenzy tap dance has he been hit with tarantagula or something like that i think it's more nervous energy he's waiting for harry to emerge out of the storm and like to burn off his excess energy, he's just he's just got to do a frenzied tap dance. Sometimes you just have to tap dance. Yeah, I, I understand that. I used to do tap dancing, as you remember, and it overcomes you. <laughs> it was the solemnity with which you said that. <laughs> it overcomes you. <laughs> All right. Well, you're the expert, I guess. <laughs> Ron's Ron shirt was just as bad as Ron himself. <laughs> this is my favourite sentence from this chapter. <laughs> just for the overuse of Ron. I've, I've, <laughs> I've got another favourite sentence that I'll point out when we get to it. I really like this sentence because it reminds me of uh, a- an idea that I've had and some of my friends have had too of, what if Harry Potter was the same, everything was the same, but everyone was called Ronald Weasley? <laughs> 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 Well, that would be confusing and difficult to read. <laughs> but I just really love like the idea that the series is still the same, but everyone is just called Ronald Weasley, and it's just it just it's really funny to me somehow. And I really wish it was a thing. <laughs> okay, maybe I'll write that fan fiction one day. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> we'll see how unintelligible it is. So the clump, I always thought clump was referring to dancing, like because Ron's doing his frenzied tap dance and Hermione's (laughs) like, if you can't join in happily, Harry, 
I'll be aggressive. That's a confession. But you're meaning like if you two can't clump together yeah. and to make like a happy lump. Yeah, well, because clumping isn't a dance move. You're thinking of crumping. Oh, I am thinking of crumping. <laughs> God, I'm such a fool. No! <laughs> I mean, it could be a typo on JK's part, but I just prefer to think of it as a working together sort of. Um, maybe it's British slang. Like, maybe. Clump. It could be something like. um. Watcher or something that I never understood what that meant. <laughs> Apparently it's just like some kind of greeting. <laughs> just like, this is a weird word <laughs> that tongues keep saying for no reason. Or how they use like pants to mean undies. Because like that's so, <laughs> as, a, as an Australian, pants are just like, you know, jeans, shorts, whatever you're wearing. But they all yeah. exclusively use it in Harry Potter to mean underwear, which is a British thing. You mean underydoos. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, sorry, of course. I forgot the, the national language. <laughs> underydoos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in Harry Potter, underydoos are called pants. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the stupidest thing I've ever said. <laughs> Locked, said Mr. Staircase, the shabby-robed ghost. They looked at the door. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't read this ahead of time, so I keep rediscovering sentences <laughs> and getting <laughs> balled over by them. <laughs> Sorry. It's going to be very hard for me to just not lose my shit they looked at the door screaming about how closed it was and asking it to be replaced with a small orb the password was beef women wow beef women Hamani cry Also interesting that Voldemort raised his eyebrows. Confirmation that Voldemort has eyebrows, which is weird because he's bald and has a snake head. I just assume he pencils them on. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. It's so simple. Like, I, like he does, like, two little ones that meet together at the middle. Like, they're all frowny, like... <laughs> like, angry eyebrows. Angry yeah. eyebrows. <laughs> Voldemort pencils those in every morning. It's a shame Harry can't see them at the moment. No, yeah, honestly it is. I reckon they're, like, they're twins, not sisters. I reckon he's perfected the art of penciling his eyebrows. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Well, you know, for all of his flaws, Voldemort's at least an icon in that one regard. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.